brings us to Exodus 27. I'm going to read it for us, verses 1 through 19, as we now go from the holy of holies to those curtains to those ornate details, to the gold, to the table of the bread of presence encased in gold, to the lampstands encased in gold, to the curtains with cherubim on them. And now we're gonna go outside that tent and see the courtyard and see some other furniture that God says has to be there if you are to approach him. Exodus 27, one through 19. You shall make the altar of acacia wood, five cubits long, and five cubits broad. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. And you shall make horns for it on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with bronze. You shall make pots for it to receive its ashes, and shovels, and basins, and forks, and fire pans. You shall make all of its utensils of bronze, You shall also make for it a grating, a network of bronze. And on the net, you shall make four bronze rings at the four corners, and you shall set it under the ledge of the altar so that that the net extends halfway down the altar, and you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. And the poles shall be put through the rings so that the poles are on two sides of the altar when it is carried. You shall make it hollow, with boards. As it has been shown to you on the mountain, so it shall be made. You shall make the court of the tabernacle. On the south side of the court shall have hangings of fine twined linen and a hundred cubits long for its one side and 20 pillars and their bases shall all be of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And likewise, for its length on the north side, there shall be hangings a hundred cubits long, its pillars 20, and their bases 20, of bronze. But the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And for the breadth of the court on the west, west side, there shall be hangings for 50 cubits with 10 pillars and 10 bases. The breadth of the court on the front to the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hangings for the one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with, th- with their three pillars and three bases. On the other side, the hangings shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and three bases. For the gate of the court, there shall be a screen, 20 cubits long, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, embroidered with needlework. It shall have four pillars and with them four bases. All the pillars round the court shall be filleted with silver. Their hooks shall be of silver, their bases of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits, the breadth 50, the height five cubits, with hangings of fine twined linen and the bases of bronze and all the utensils of the tabernacle for every use and all of its pegs and all of the pegs of the courts of the court shall be of bronze. Now I want to point out three things. I think we're only going to have time to get to two of them that happen here. But we we see essentially three parts if we were to keep reading in all of Exodus 27 verses 1 through 8 describe the altar of sacrifice. The altar of sacrifice. That's the first thing that's described after we get outside of the holy of holies, if you will, that we've been looking at. 
the very first thing that's described that sits outside of this place before you would go into the very presence of God was the altar of sacrifice. It's called different things uh, throughout Exodus. Uh, It's called the altar of bronze. It's also called the altar of burnt offerings. In other places, it's called the outer altar. So right outside where these curtains would be, where you would enter into the presence of God, here is the altar And why is that so significant, church? Because it is a reminder for the very first thing that you see is the altar of sacrifice to enter into the presence of God. And this altar is different than the altar that's described inside the Holy of Holies. If you remember, there was another altar, but it was the altar of incense inside the tent of meeting. So, the altar of incense is different than the altar of sacrifice that's placed right outside here. So the first thing that you would see as a worshiper when you walk into this courtyard that's described in great detail here was you would see the altar. The altar taught the Old Testament believer. The altar taught the people of Israel that communion with God required atonement required sacrifice. It would be the first thing that you would see. There was no way around it. We've talked about, you can't just, you couldn't just waltz into the inner court, in the inner tent, you'd die, it says. So the very first thing you see entering into the courtyard as a worshiper is this bronze altar. So what's the message of the altar for you and I today, church? Simply this is that the altar visibly drove home the point in every worshiper's mind and heart for Israel for 1,500 years that you cannot, you could not come into the presence of God without a sacrifice, without the shedding of blood. What does the author of Hebrews say? Hebrews 9.22. According to the law, one might almost say that all things are cleansed with blood, And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's the point the altar is making. That when you come into the temple courtyard, this space that was detailed and defined, you are reminded visibly through the very first thing that you see that I cannot have fellowship with God without the shedding of blood, without an offering, without a sacrifice. Why? Because I am a sinner and he is holy. He is set apart, and sin cannot be in the presence of a holy God. So there must be a way for me to atone for my sin, and it's on the altar. And that principle that we see right here in Exodus 27, that there is no communion with God apart from atonement, apart from blood sacrifice, is universal from the fall from Genesis, the very beginning. When Adam and Eve fall into sin, we could preach a whole other sermon on this. We see God provide a sacrifice so that they can, they can speak to him again. Their coverings that they cover themselves with come from an animal and come from the skin of an animal that was provided by God. So even in the very beginning in Genesis, to, in order to atone for sin, blood was shed. And again, he's reiterating this point. And then we have verses 9 through 19 that deal with the courtyard itself. Again, a few weeks ago, I said it's like 
Exodus and the descriptions of the tabernacle are like a pop-up book. They're just, everything comes in 3D. We've, we're given these detailed uh, measurements and detailed descriptions of the materials so that everything comes to life for us. And so we're, we're this, this courtyard is brought to life. And so it's around the tabernacle. It's this much larger section that sort of rings off and it provides the sacred space for the animals to be kept for sacrifice on the altar that would be brought in. It would be a place that worshipers could enter into this courtyard, that their sins could be atoned for, and that they could become and have right standing with God. And then we're gonna get to it next week, but then you also have a light that's described that illumines the space before entering the Holy of Holies. It's lit up, so you have an altar, you have a courtyard of, that has these sacred animals for sacrifice, and you have the light that leads you into. Now, let's look at just a few lessons that we can learn here from these first two sections, verses 1 through 19. First, in verse 1 through 8, the outer altar, again, taught us that any believer that wants to commune with God, atonement is required. So the outer altar taught the Old Testament believer that the way into communion with God was through sacrifice, through sacrifice. The outer altar was the first thing you saw. The first thing the worshiper would see when entering the temple courtyard would be that altar. And it, 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 I, this is striking to me as I was reading through uh, Exodus 25, 26, and 27. When we read 25 and 26, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, when we're reading about the making of the Ark of the Covenant, when you're reading about the making of the bread of presence and uh, the lampstands and all the things inside of it and the framework and the tent, do you remember what metals are used in all of the previous things? It was a mumble. I was like, like, I'm going to assume someone said gold, right? Gold. Gold was used. In the Holy of Holies, in that inner place, it was, it was ornate with gold. And he, by the time you get to the outer courtyard, if you remember what we were reading, the metals that were used were bronze and silver. We don't read anything of gold. Isn't that interesting? So the closer you are to the very presence of God, the finer the materials. That's meant to communicate something. And we even saw it in the, in the coverings. We had fine linens. We had uh, leather at the top. We had, it's over and over again. The closer you get, the finer the materials, the finer the metals, the more refined and pure they are. And now you get to the, the outside, that curtain, with cherubim on it and embroidered and stitched with needlework with these amazing colors that were so difficult to have. Now you have an altar of bronze and you have silver, more common materials and metals. Another fact, why was the altar made of bronze? Bronze is a metal that uh, can withstand a lot of heat. This thing would be required for burnt offerings. It was had fire on it. It couldn't be consumed and melted. So it's, it's, it's on purpose and it's symbolic in its even construction and building. So we had gold in those inner places. And then we have bronze and silver. Now at the altar, we're told that it had horns. 
We're like, whew. And he's, yeah, you're like, wow. It's like, this is very gothic sounding, right? This is, this is frightening. Well, the horns, they may have represented a lot of things. There's some debate here, but a couple things like, why were the horns on this bronze altar? Well, it could have been representative of the animals that would be brought for sacrifice, But we also know when we're given some details in the scriptures in Psalm 118, verse 27, it talks about that um, the, the psalmist speaks of binding the sacrifice with cords around the altar. This is sort of brutal stuff to think about. The nature of forgiveness of sin is costly and it's hard to even imagine So these cords, Psalm 18, the psalmist says, would be used to bind, and they bound them around the horns of the altar so it couldn't move. Uh, They were also in place, some scholars would say, for the worshiper to take hold of with his hands as he's bowing in the presence of God, that his sins would be forgiven, that God would receive this sacrifice that was presented, that he could be cleansed of his sin. And then you notice in verse 6 and 7 that the altar, just like everything else, just like all the different pieces of furniture, was movable. There was rings and there's poles. This whole sanctuary was movable. This whole tent, this whole sanctuary that 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 was being constructed and erected is meant to move from place to place. Here we have, this gives me as a church planter a lot of comforts, a portable church, a portable sanctuary. There, this is our first understanding of mobile worship, right? Any amens from the Setup Teardown team? We're doing very, very biblical things here. Lifting things and moving them and setting them back up just to do it all over again next week and do it all over again next week. Why? Because God is worthy and he's worth it. But they're meant to be moved, it's, it's, it's portable. And to me, that just speaks of the marvelous, even humility of God. <laughs> that he would be willing to be moved from place to place with these people that are wandering. Isn't that incredible? This holy God, this powerful God. We just saw the plagues. We saw all the parting of the Red Sea. He constructs it and he dwells with them in such a way that he can be with them along the journey the whole time. I'm with you right here. And you can pack me up in a certain way and you can move this and move that and I'm going with you. You don't have to go and then come back. I'm with you all along the journey. He's willing to wander with his people. So it's portable and the poles remain on the altar even when it's stationary, to remind the people of God's identification with them. Um, So what's the message of the altar for us today, church? It's simply this, like I've said before. It, It shows us and it reminds us again of the character of God. It reminds us that the same thing that the people of Israel would see for 1,500 years, that they could not come into God's presence without sacrifice. 
Hebrews 9, according to the law, one might almost say that all things are cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's the point the altar makes. That when you come into the temple courtyard and you see the altar, you see this, I, I can't have fellowship with God without the shedding of blood, without offering of a sacrifice. Why? Because I'm a sinner and he is holy. And that's the principle that there is no communion apart from atonement. And that's been universal since the very fall. But the beautiful thing is that the altar points us to Jesus himself. Because the next thing that the author of Hebrews says, Zach read the verse right after this one. I'm gonna read Hebrews uh, 13.10. It tells us that Jesus is our altar. Jesus is our altar. We often think of Jesus being our high priest, which he is. And that's very true. But Hebrews um, 13.10 says this. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. The altar is Christ himself. By the way, quick side note. That's the reason why Protestant churches don't have physical altars anymore. Uh, We have Oftentimes, you'll see communion tables, but you don't have altars. Why? Because Christ is our altar. We don't need to construct that altar anymore because Christ himself is our altar. Um, So the principle is Jesus is the one who provides atonement and brings us into the very presence of God. And it should just swell our hearts to worship like we just sang about. The second thing, verses 9 through 19, is all temples in the ancient world that we've read about that are constructed would have a space for uh, demarcating, essentially, the sacred from the profane or the sacred from the worldly. There was these spaces that would gate off our... our, um, or separate out different things from the very presence of God. And we see that here uh, in the construction commands that God gives to Moses. And it reveals and it highlights this idea and this understanding of holiness. It elevates this idea of the holiness of God in the Old Testament, this idea of separation. Holiness means to be set apart. God is holy. So that's why you have the curtain. That's why you have the coverings. That's why you have the courtyard, so that these things go here and these things go there. You can't just run headlong in anywhere you want. God is holy, and things are separate, and things up. Sorry about that. Something won't work later, but that's okay. Um, God is holy, and he knows. Uh, So it it helps us understand the holiness of God. So there were courtyards. In fact, in Solomon's temple, there's courtyards. In Herod's temple, which would have been the temple in Jesus' day, there were were many courtyards. Herod's temple had four courtyards. So there was a courtyard for priests. There was a courtyard for Jewish males. There was a courtyard for Jewish females. And then there was a courtyard for Gentiles. And everyone had a space that they would go in order to present sacrifice to God. And these courtyards were separated by dividing walls. And you couldn't cross over except in your little space. This is designated for you. This is designated for you. 
This is designated for you. These are the designated areas for the animals. Every spot in the temple courtyard had its place. Um, And they had these dividing walls, and it was this understanding that there's something that has marked me out that I can't get to the next spot. The sacred from the profane. God is holy and set apart, and I am not, so I get this little spot, and I'm going to have a priest to go in with this sacrifice in hopes that God would accept the sacrifice on my behalf and give me forgiveness. This metaphor is picked up by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, verse 14. And Paul says these beautiful words. As we think about even the construction of the temple in this courtyard, the fulfillment of it, he himself, meaning Jesus. Jesus himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, speaking of the Jews and the Gentiles, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Apostle Paul says Jesus came and when he died, when he presented himself as the ultimate atoning sacrifice for our sin, the the dividing walls that split us all up, they were gone. He annihilated those things. So we can all now come as one people under God and his grace and mercy to worship him through our risen Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. Israel, they had these courtyards, they had these dividing walls that kept certain people in certain places. And Paul says, Jesus has broken down, destroyed that dividing wall that would separate Jew and Gentile. We are all now one in Christ. Jesus broke down that whole system. It was removed in Christ. And so the barrier that existed in the Old Testament in the holiness code that we're looking at and we're reading was abolished in Christ to all those who believe both Jew and Gentile, no longer separated out. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus and the reconciliation he brings to us. And so the courtyard is meant to demarcate sacred and Uh, pure, our worship, the worshipers. It also separated out these classes of people. And Jesus Christ and his wonderful redemptive work brought together those who were once separated. That we now, as God's people, get to worship him wholly and freely. And we now, church, get to approach God today by the way of the cross Jesus is the only altar we need. That's why we don't have to construct one here today. That's why we don't have a a spot right outside of Bonnie's here with a little temple courtyard gate with some goats and sheep and different things that you guys would pick up and walk in here. We don't need that anymore, as Zach just told us. Jesus was our great final and full atoning sacrifice. And when he died and paid that ultimate price, the veil was torn in two into our uh, presence with God and the dividing walls and the courtyards that would separate us out because of his holiness were broken down and we now purified and covered and cleansed by the blood of Christ can now come near to God because of Christ. (laughs) That's glorious. Jesus 
paid the price for our sin. So no more sacrifice for sin is needed. It has been paid for final and full. However, church, there is still one sacrifice we can make that we get to make. It's ourselves for God's service. It's the one we get to make because of what Jesus has done, because the veil has been torn, because the dividing wall has been destroyed. And now we as God's people get to make a sacrifice ourselves for service of him. Romans 12 talks about it. Jesus paid the price for our sin. And he's reconciled men and women back to himself by breaking down that wall. And God no longer commands us to bring a sacrifice to the courtyard, but he does want you and I to become that sacrifice, that we would lay our lives down. That we count it joy for all that he's done for us, to live a life in service to our great Savior that came and gave his everything to us, that we would be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable now to God our Father. Church, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that these pictures, that these detailed instructions of the altar and the detailed instructions of the outer courts and all the things that they represent and reminded your people of God, we now see the beauty and the fulfillment that was in Jesus Christ our Lord, that Jesus, you are now our altar. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that we don't have to bring the blood of bulls and goats and animals to be in right standing with you. But Jesus, you are our high priest and you are our altar of bronze and you and your death and atonement was fully satisfied for our sin and rebellion that we can now be in right standing with you, God. That we can now run headlong into the arms of the Father because of Jesus. We're counted sons and daughters. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus broke down the dividing walls that separate us. All the places that we felt like we were um, set aside from, that we didn't have access to, Jesus came and broke those down so that we now as God's people can come as one church in unity to you. So Lord, we thank you for that. And God, I pray for each of us here in this room that we would respond now as a people saved, as a people blood-bought, as a people that are called to be one, that we would now in response get to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to you, holy and acceptable because of all that you've done for us. May we live lives that are pleasing to you. And may that be our spiritual act of worship. We love you. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Church, will you stand as we worship Jesus and all that he's done for us? If you're here this morning um, and you're walking through something that may be difficult or maybe hard, or maybe you are here for the first time and you haven't been in church in a long, long time and you want to learn what it means 
to have the blood of Christ applied to you, to have the forgiveness of sin. We're gonna have some elders and folks in the back that would love to talk with you, would love to pray with you and pray for you no matter what you're going through because you don't have to go through it alone. So we wanna be present to pray with you and pray for you. So as we sing this last song in response to all that Jesus has done for us, if you need prayer, please come to the back and it would be our joy and honor and privilege to get to pray with you and pray for you. Love you, church.